What are you hoping you're going to receive this morning? Living Word. Lord God, we want your living Word this morning. We want your Word and nothing else. I pray, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear, a humble heart, Lord, to receive what it is you want to say this morning. And I pray, Lord, that anything that is not of you, Lord, would be quickly forgotten. I pray, Lord, for your empowering to do what you've called me to do. And I pray, Lord, in all this you would be glorified and your purposes would be fulfilled. We commit ourselves to you afresh right now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. If you've got your scriptures, get them out. You're going to need them. It's probably a good sign, isn't it? Uh, last time I spoke, we looked at humility and submission to each other and how that produces a work of unity among us and enables God to build his church uh, through us and the gifts that he's given us. Do you remember that? Good, that was only last week. So, glad that made an impression. Today I want to to focus more specifically on the uh, apostolic gift. uh, How that works and what it means to honor and submit to it. And I've spoken around this one a few times in the past. There's a reason why this one is being singled out. And that's because this is the one that is, well, it's the one we forgot about more than anything else. In the contemporary church, you don't really need to talk about teachers and pastors because they're the people that lead the churches. We're very familiar with what they do. And for a lot of us, that's what we turn up for. We want to be taught from God's word and we want to be loved and looked after. So we're familiar with their ministry. And we're probably very familiar with the ministry of evangelists. And I'm sure we've all been along to a wonderful crusade. And maybe we, we gave our lives to the Lord at, a, at an evangelism crusade. Maybe we've done an evangelism course under a gifted evangelist. I know I've received both. Tony Campolo led me powerfully to the Lord in a wonderful YFC rally. And others tried to instill in me a passion for the lost and for sharing my faith with them. I've received lots from the ministry of anointed evangelists. And through the years, the Lord has spoken so many powerful words of prophecy over me from people who were anointed to, to hear his, his word for me now and deliver it with faith. But the, the apostle, this was, this was one that I, that I didn't, didn't quite understand. I got that there were 12 of them, or 13, or maybe 14, I don't know. They're in the Bible, right? You can, yeah, you, you can find them in there, but isn't that where they stayed? Well, I'd assume that was the case because I hadn't heard anything more about them ever again. They were Bible stories. And somehow, I don't know how many times I've read 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Wonderful passage of scripture. Apostle Paul talks about the spiritual gifts God has given us. I don't know, I've seriously read it so many times. I've studied it, I've taught from it. 
And there's a bit at the end that I think I skip over. You know when someone's reading, reading a passage of scripture and they emphasize certain words and then they get to a point and they start reading quickly and their voice drops. You don't have to hear this because it's not relevant. I think I read the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 fast and low every time. And so I missed something in there. And in the church, God is called first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. He's talking about gifts that are essential for building the church. And I had skipped that. I had skipped this idea that there's a first, a second, or a third, and what that might mean. And somehow I had uh, decided that apostles can be left uh, back in the first century, and there's no need for them now. And I could do that because I had no idea what apostles actually did. And when, and when I think about well, the stories that are most familiar to me of what the apostles did when they were out ministering, uh, it was predominantly evangelism. And because we have evangelists, we probably don't need that anymore. Except that is not all the apostles did. And the other thing they did is the thing that the church most desperately needs now. Should we talk about that? Apostle is derived from a Greek word which simply means sent one. Apostle was not a title bestowed just upon ranking members of Jesus in a circle, nor was it a position that ambitious followers lobbied for or worked hard to achieve. Apostleship was a calling, a hard, often painful and thankless destiny to which hand-picked disciples were appointed by God alone. Why were they appointed? What was special about these people? God only knows. I should mean that literally. Only God in heaven knows why these people would be designated apostles. If you have a look at their, their resumes, there is nothing in there that would set them apart to lead the church. They were humble fishermen, and I mean really humble. Traitorous and corrupt tax collectors, politi political agitators, possibly even terrorists. Even their character was often questionable. Judas was a thief and a traitor. Thomas was filled with doubt. Peter, the early leader among the apostles, tried to talk Jesus out of going to the cross. Imagine how that would have worked out for us. He um, tried, or he did cut a man's ear off with a sword. And uh, the first chance he gets after Jesus dies, he denies him three times. And this is the prominent Apostle. But still, Jesus singled these men out to be his apostles, his sent ones. So why did he send these guys? Surely there could have been someone out there more qualified than these guys. 
Luke 6, 13 to 16 says, One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Appointing them apostles wasn't arbitrary. Jesus stayed up all night with his father, and they talked. Um, I don't know how that conversation went. I don't know if they were weighing up together the pros and cons. I don't know if they were whittling down a short list. don't know if they were calling people back for second interviews. but But Jesus prayed all night. He spent the night with his father, and when he came down, he called all of his disciples together, of which there were many. And out of that group, there were 12, which he set apart. He called 12, a number which would be added to later. But these guys were the crew he started with. God saw something in these men that no one else did. He saw what no one else had eyes to see. And that's not what they were. Everyone could see that. He saw who they would, what, who they would become when they were filled with the Holy Spirit and transformed under his beautiful power. The apostles in the first century had two significant ministries. One was evangelism, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, for which they were anointed with a power to confirm their testimony through signs and wonders. The second was a ministry of divine guidance, leadership, and strategy for the church. In Paul's words in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1, this then is how you ought to regard us, as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. There's a number of great illustrations in the, the book of Acts of the apostles ex, uh, executing both of these ministries. But, a, uh, but the most significant for us today is the ministry of the apostles to the church. And I want to look at a prime example of this in Acts chapter 10. Okay, I want to invite you to turn to this. There's a, there's a little bit of reading here, but this is a very significant story. Okay, Acts chapter 10 from verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and his, all his family were devout and God-fearing. That means that they uh, followed the God of the Jews, but had not necessarily fully converted uh, to Judaism. 
One day at about, oh, he gave generously to those in need and he prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who was called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent him to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheep was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, these men are looking for you, so get up, go downstairs, do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them. And some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, Three days ago I was in my house praying at this hour. At three in the afternoon, suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you, and immediately it was good for you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. And then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. 
You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God has already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on even Gentiles. They heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. It is impossible to overstate just how significant that story is for the church. For so long, every time I read that passage, I thought it was another story of evangelism. Another story of the apostles going out again and sharing the good news of Jesus. But it is so much more than that. That vision that Peter received and what he did with it changed everything. You better believe you are only here today because of that vision and what the apostle Peter did with it. Because before that, you, didn't, you had no access to the message that Christ had brought. Social separation from Gentiles had been at the core of Jewish religion and life. And religion was their life. Since Moses, 1400 years earlier. In fact, a few hundred years before the law was given to Moses, Isaac commanded his son Jacob, you will not marry from among the peoples here in Canaan, but you must go and seek out your uncle Laban, and from among his people, our people, you must find a wife. And so we sent Jacob packing. He had to hike over 900 case to go find a wife. That's here to Kaitaia. And then back again. And no roads. Just find your way. Follow the river. So they took, they took separation of peoples very seriously. But it wasn't just the law that incited the Jews' vehement dissociation from the Gentiles. Centuries of military occupation 
of their sacred homeland drilled into them a suspicion and loathing of their oppressors. But God was calling them to let that go and let him have his way on the earth. And on the plus side, it meant they could finally eat bacon. I don't know. I think that's special to me too. Now what Peter was apostolically leading the church into was not an unheralded revelation. This didn't just come out of nowhere. This awakening of the faith to the Gentiles had been prophesied by Isaiah 700 years earlier. As he declared in Isaiah 49 verse 6, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Thank you, Lord. True apostles aren't out there making stuff up or preaching anything contrary to Scripture. In fact, apostles come into their own when God's people have strayed from Scripture, from his blueprint. And God is working to restore us to his blueprint, to his plan for the church. And that is why he's been raising up apostles again, to realign us to the truth in his plan. The Apostle Peter didn't just preach the revelation that he received from God. He lived it. As an apostle, he was a forerunner. And that took courage. He stepped out from under the law his people had lived by for 1,400 years and went into the house of not just a Gentile, but the poster boy for Roman oppression, a, a centurion. The fruit of God's apostolic word lived out through his faith was the salvation of not only Cornelius and his household, but countless Gentiles for centuries to come, including us. So what is our response to God's ministry through the apostolic grace today? Let's have a look at how the believers in Peter's church responded. Let's go back to Acts chapter 11. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, You went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. Then I heard a voice telling me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, Surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. 
This happened three times. And then it was all pulled up to heaven again. Right there, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, Send to Joppa for Simon, who was called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will baptize with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So even the Gentiles God has granted a repentance that leads to life. I had a vision, is what Peter told them. He broke one of their most sacred laws. He broke kosher. Oh, it's okay, I had a vision. There was a sheet and stuff in it. I saw it three times. It's okay. I had a vision. He was turning their world upside down. Because he had a vision. I'm obviously a lot more skeptical than those believers in his church. And it's been holding me back for years. They received Peter as an apostle. And recognizing him as an apostle Understanding some of how God works through an apostle. When Peter said, I had a vision, everything stops. You had a vision? Tell us about your vision. What was in the vision? What did God say? What did you see? What were the images? I want to hear everything. Because God speaks to apostles. And dreams, and visions, and words, impressions on the heart, and visitations. In crazy ways that I wish I got. Fortunately, I, I don't seem to. But I can live vicariously through them. Because God speaks to me through the ministry of an apostle. And he speaks to me through the ministry of a prophet. And he speaks to me through the ministry of a pastor. And through the ministry of an evangelist. Because God speaks and works through these people in different ways. And he speaks to me through people who carry the gift of administration. And they add value to me through what God does in them. And through those who have gifts of mercy and gifts of craftsmanship. And I receive from that. Because that's how God works in them. But to receive from an apostle, I need to recognize the apostle. Recognize the gift on them. Understand that God works in them in different ways to me. And allow God to do what he wants to do through them. The Jewish believers were initially very critical of Peter's actions. And we should not be surprised. It was contrary to everything they'd been taught since they were children. Nonetheless, they received him as an apostle. And once he'd explained his apostolic vision, they accepted his testimony. And they followed him into a new era 
of the kingdom of God. An era in which we were welcome to be a part of. If only we could treat the ministry of apostles and prophets with such honor and faith today. But we we often don't. Apostles and prophets keep jumping out of the boxes that we construct with the ideas of how we think things work. Around the ideas of how we think God conducts his business. Turns out that a lot of the time, we don't know God half as well as we think we do. We are intimately acquainted with the God that we've made up in our head. He fits comfortably in there and agrees with everything that we think. But we get into trouble when someone else comes along who brings a truth which is different to what's up in here. And she is about a God who does things a little differently to the one that we've got up here. We reject his apostles and prophets, just as religious people always have. As Jesus said in Luke chapter 11, verse 47, Woe to you, because you build tombs for the prophets, and it was your ancestors who killed them. So you testify that you approve of what your ancestors did. They killed the prophets, and you build their tombs. Because of this, God in his wisdom said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill, and others they will persecute. How was God asking us to respond to the apostolic and prophetic ministries today? Well, with the faith and the honor that Peter's contemporaries received him with. And with eagerness and discernment. We read in Acts 17.11 that the Jews in Berea were commended for two things. Firstly, they received Paul, received Paul's teaching with eagerness. And I've mentioned this before. This is, this is the part of the verse that I read quickly. Because the important bit is that they checked the scriptures to make sure that what he said was true. There was a time when I, if I was here and I would be fact-checking sermons in the sermon. In the sermon. Oh, that doesn't sound quite right. Let's check that out. Oh, okay. No, the Greek said, no, my, the Greek says this. No, no, you don't know what we're talking about. I'd be checking some kind of geographical trivia that was dropped in Wikipedia during a message. I'm pretty sure that's not right. right. Do you know how much I got out of those messages? Absolutely nothing. But I was right about the Greek and I was right about that geographical feature that had nothing to do with the message. I was right. I was right. And look how God's transforming with me with my rightness. I'm sure God was impressed with how right I was. No. I wasn't receiving anything because I wasn't I wasn't I wasn't eager to receive from God. And that is one of the bigger works he's been he's been doing in me over the last few years. And this isn't even about Sunday services. This is about an approach to life. 
what do I want to get out of my day? What do I want to get out of this life? When I look around me, I'm surrounded by, I'm surrounded by God. God in, reflected in his creation. God in you, made in his image. God in you, in his indwelling Holy Spirit. I have the potential to encounter God just constantly. If I'm looking for it. So, if I'm eager to receive from him in every encounter, whether it be in a Sunday sermon, or it be in a conversation with you, I'm going to find what I'm looking for. He promised us, Jeremiah 29, 13, if you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. This seeking with all my heart is an eagerness. It's a disposition that is, I'm going to look for the best in you, because the best in you is God. And I want as much of him as I can get. And for that, the Berean Jews were commended because they received Paul with eagerness, looking to receive from God. It's like you're panning for gold. Think about how much rubbish, I'm not sure if you've ever panned for gold. I've done a little tour in Aritan, it was great. You spend... I don't know, well, it was three hours shoveling crap into this tray and just shaking it around in freezing cold water. And I think at one point the tour guide distracts you and drops a little shiny thing in, the, in there and you're oh, look, I found some gold. The illustration as I think about it is this, this idea that, that you're panning through rubbish and rubbish but it doesn't matter how long you're sitting there panning through the crap. When you find that one little, that little gold nugget, tiny little thing, that's made you weak. That is awesome. And all the rubbish, you don't even think about it. But it's this eagerness, this passion to find just a little bit of gold, a little bit of truth, a little bit of revelation. Everything else, that'll, that'll burn away. Don't even worry about it. But before, all I could see was the rubbish. And I drowned in it. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. The Bereans were commended for the attitude in which they approached Paul. And they were commended for this discernment. For once they had received from Paul... They then went away and searched the scriptures to see if what he said was true. And we are called to do the same thing. 1 John 4 verse 1 says, We should not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Just as Jesus instructed us in Matthew 10 verse 41, we need to welcome a prophet as a prophet. To receive a prophet's reward. And in the same way, we must receive an apostle as an apostle to receive an apostle's reward. Receive a teacher as a teacher to receive a teacher's reward, and so on. What's an, what's an apostle's reward? The reward of an apostle is the strategies of heaven and God's revelation. For his church today. That is the gift. 
that God is restoring to his church. To receive from the grace of the apostle, we must submit to the apostle. In the same way that we are called to submit to one another. That submission requires humility to recognize the gifting and authority on another and our need to receive from God through them. And this, I want to repeat what I just said before. We need each other because God is working in us, in each other, in different ways than he works in in you, in me. He is not going to reveal himself to me in ways that he will to others. He will not pour out his spirit and, and gifts in the same way that he does to me. We get different gifts and we need each other. To become the church God has called us to be, we need all of us. And we definitely need the apostles. To receive from the grave of an apostle, it requires trust. And not even trusting in them personally, necessarily. One, I don't even know them that well. I'm talking about trusting God in them. And trusting God in you. The same God anointing them on them, speaking to them, is in you. That's trusting that. Talking about testing the spirits. It's talking about trusting the Holy Spirit in you to confirm things. Trusting that God wants only your best. It requires us to follow where God leads his church through them. And to follow without grumbling and complaining, which I'm sure you were recalled did not work out well for the followers of Moses. Here in this place, in our time, God has raised up apostolic leadership to rebuild his church according to his design, to his blueprint. Part of that is meant looking at reestablishing the five-fold gifts of the apostle, prophet, teacher, pastor, and evangelist, according to their divine order and purpose in the church, seeking God to raise up those gifts again. He's been realigning us to our true purpose, to know him and to love him and to love others. He has been refocusing us on making disciples, maturing disciples, transformed into the image of Christ, rather than just winning souls. And there will be more. That's not it. As we receive his word and follow in faith, there will be more. Because we are coming to the end of things. And God is sanctifying his church. And he's preparing his bride. Now these things have been hard for some to receive. And for others it has been too hard to receive. And they have walked away. Which is no different to the way it's always been. Even Jesus. Even Jesus. I I can't imagine knowing him and hearing him preach. But then walking away because, oh, that's too hard. I can't imagine seeing him restore, resurrect someone or restore a paralyzed person. I can't imagine seeing those miracles, but thinking, you know what? It's too hard. 
but I'm sure, I'm sure I probably would. Just as many others did, just like we do today. We walk away because it seems too hard. And without him, and without him in each other, it is too hard. His disciples walked away from him too. But the question for us is, are we those disciples? Are we the ones that walk away because it's too hard? Or are we the kind that will stick together? That will eagerly, eagerly receive his word and his ministry through each other? And will step out in faith? And let God do what he wants to do through whom he wants to do it. I don't want to be a part of a church that is meandering around, knocking off good events in the community, accomplishing productive programs, filling seats, taking in good offerings, and making absolutely no real difference in the world and the kingdom. If we're going to make the sacrifices that God is calling us to do, let's make them knowing they'll make a difference because we are doing exactly what he's called us to do. We are in his plan. We are following his blueprint. To that, please, Lord, give us an apostle who can point us back in the right direction. Thank you, Lord, that you have. Thank you.